What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Morecast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. With me today, I have a special guest, someone who has been on my Gen X Show podcast. It is a gentleman who uh, does, he's really the, uh, um, what you would call the jack of all trades, which fits in nicely with his podcast, which is called John of All Trades. Uh, he does a little bit of everything, and uh, he also was a producer for the Vic Lombardi on uh, Vic Lombardi's Denver, and uh, produces several other podcasts. Um, and he is actually a guy I talk to a lot during basketball games. So this will be a fun conversation. It is my friend, the one and only John Ekstrom. Hello, sir. It is a pleasure to be here, Jeff. Thank you for doing this. We talk all the time, but never like with our voices. It's always <laughs> like during Nuggets games when I'm sending you just like little messages and insights and whatever. And I got to tell you, it is one of the purest joys in my life. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. It's nice to have someone to talk to about that. You know, it's like um, when when I first started at Denver Stiffs back in 2009-ish, geez, it's a long time ago, um, yeah. we, we would, uh, Nate Timmons and I would talk frequently during games. And it was something, something in, and once we got to the mellow trade saga, it became a catharsis to actually have someone else to talk to while the whole thing was going on <laughs> while we were also writing about it and that's where i discovered the joy which you just wrote about that. again i did i did write about that again and for I the first time this morning i thought it was great for the first time on denver stiffs uh since 2017 i nice. des decided to do that so uh but we don't need to talk about me we're here to talk about you so <laughs> uh mr ekstrom before we get started uh, let's talk a little bit about what you do. You don't John of all trades and, and people like he, um, John did a great job on uh, Vic Lombardi's podcast, Vic Lombardi's Denver, where he talked to various people around the, around the city of Denver about all things Denver, which is, there's no better person to talk about Denver than Vic Lombardi. So tell the people who are probably just getting, uh, getting to know, you know, uh, a little bit about yourself. Terrific. So John of all trades has been around since 2014. This is nine and a half years of doing this show. And I won Westward Best of Denver in 2017. Uh, I have more than 400 total episodes, which I, what are we on here, Jeff? Is this like 683 for you or something like somewhere in that neighborhood? Yeah, it's 683 numbered. And then it's like uh, 800. Of, of oh, the Jesus. <laughs> OK, uh, so, I mean, you and I have been at this for a long time. And sometimes I'll think to myself, I'm like, I can't believe I'm still doing this shit. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, in many ways, my dream sort of came true because people will always ask me, how do you monetize podcasting? And I say, find people with money who want to do a show and they'll pay you to produce it for them. Yeah. And so it's, it's sort of a backdoor way of doing it because, you know, as, as you know, there's a very small middle class of podcasting. Yeah. You're either Joe Rogan or like a hobbyist. Right. And with, with very little middle ground in there. And so. I remember I got my first paying gig and it was like 2018-ish, late 2017, maybe 2018. And I go, how do I even price this? Like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I have more than 15 years doing PR and I've been consulting under my own business, Deft Communications, since 2015. So that's eight and a half years of being on my own. And I thought, you know, podcasting is just a way of adding something to your communications portfolio. If you're not seeking, you know, like this is, we're talking basketball or like on Gen X show, you know, we're talking music and movies and stuff like that. That stuff's all fun. Right. But if you're, if you're an organization that has sort of enterprise goals, 
you can use podcasting to tell your story in a brand new way. And that's where I found a really great niche. So none of my shows are going to be like iTunes top 100, but I am producing eight others. Um, one of which you mentioned, which was a real joy to work on, was Vic Lombardi's Denver. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I didn't know Vic well before that. I mean, I knew who he was. I'd seen him on TV for years and years. But getting to know him, Vic is just one of the most genuine, delightful people out there. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really funny watching all that, you know, the Lakers daddy stuff come back. Because <laughs> Vic said that at the championship parade. And people <laughs> misattributed it to, to Michael Malone. Right. And, you know, then I saw Vic starting to get interviews and I saw him mentioned on the Pat McAfee show. And I thought, you know, whatever notoriety Vic can get, uh, I'm I'm thrilled for him. So getting to do his show is just a real privilege. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, a, 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 it was a great listen. I listened to every episode and uh, it was good to to kind of see what the act of producing it. See, you have a, a little different level of patience than i do i can barely i barely have the patience to edit my own podcasts so <laughs> i i don't i can't even imagine doing that for others because like it's like with radio i mean you've done radio stuff i've done radio stuff. oh yeah i'm currently on radio actually again now oh you are uh yeah because i've guested twice i filled in for ross kaminsky on koa and what's amazing is the um the program director there is a guy named dave tepper and he actually knows vic from uh, Dave was at altitude at the time and he he got in touch with me and he said would you like to fill in for Ross and I go what do you want me to talk about and he goes whatever you want and I thought you're giving me the biggest platform in the region and three hours <laughs> to fill and giving me basically no direction okay yeah I'll make that happen um <laughs> and as a result of that now I'm actually also on uh 93.3's HD station doing yeah. punk tacos introducing songs for them sometimes it's 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 fun but you're right Radio is a whole thing where you have to be a little bit crazy right. because n- number one, you're talking to yourself in in this in this room by yourself, but you have to remember there's people on the other end of that. Mm-hmm. And people will be like, I heard you over the radio, and you go, Right, this is actually going out to people. <laughs> and, and like people are actually I'm not just insane talking to myself or talking to one person, right. but it's going out to the masses. And so Editing a show, I've actually, Jeff, I'll tell you, the patience thing is is fine because I'm an introvert at heart and I, I don't mind sitting by myself for long stretches just mm-hmm. with people's voices in my ears. But it has ruined me sometimes in real life with real conversations because I spend so much time on these nine shows listening to people's conversational rhythms. I can frequently predict what they're going to say next. And I'm like, oh, my God, get to the fireworks factory already. Like, I know what you're trying to say here. But do it a little cleaner. Like you are killing me, which is I, I have to give you the highest compliment I can give a person, which is I don't know what you're going to say next. Uh-huh. And I find that thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> My conversations are all vibes. I, I, I'm I'm very much. And this is something you probably relate to is you're you're similarly aged to me. And I. One of my things is that I, I, my friends and I always got into existential conversations and just, they would stream a consciousness, like whatever they were. So they went on from one subject and they would evolve into something that completely unrelated. And um, that is how kind of I do my podcast. So um, there are people, if you don't have, if you, if you are like, want to have regimented things my podcast is not for you because I mean, when I have Tim Miller on or when I have Steve Gorman from the Black Crows on here, 
they will both and they both understand it pretty well so they kind of vibe with me on it yeah. but there are some people who who are like i'm just you know i i, I need a plan <laughs> yeah. no man like let's let's play some jazz here i'm stoked for that because <laughs> you and i will create some conversational jazz we do it over text all the time i'm like yeah. always sending you weird shit, and our, our conversations will just take insane digressions and that to me is worth its weight in just absolute platinum so oh, yeah. i love that yeah i love it so we're going to talk about uh the denver nuggets and i i um so as someone who probably is being introduced to a new audience here what's your what's your relationship like with the organization that is the denver nuggets i mean you were a a colorado native so g- give us an idea of what your what your relationship was like with the nuggets so i i was born in 81 and when I was growing up, the Nuggets were good, but this was still always a football town. And my mm-hmm. my parents were both from Chicago. So I was really interested in Chicago Cubs baseball. And, you know, WGN. the Nuggets, that's right. WGN was out here so you could catch every game still, which if, <laughs> you know, you'll find a lot of Colorado baseball fans. They're either Cubs fans, Braves fans, or St. Louis Cardinals fans because right. of that radio station that comes out of St. Louis. And... So the Nuggets were always kind of back burner and the NBA in the 80s, you know, it was kind of back on the ascent with Magic and Bird and, you know, some of those types of stars, you know, the Pistons. And then, of course, Jordan coming into the league when he did. Mm -hmm. But it was right around the early 90s when I, I really got into basketball because the NBA on NBC was just such a wonderful product and had that iconic John Tesh theme song. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was watching the Bulls and then the West was starting to ascend. You know, no one could get past the Bulls, but you had, uh, you know, great teams like the Sonics and the Jazz and the Blazers and the Rockets um, all kind of taking their turn. You know, the the Lakers were still kind of hanging around. But, you know, the Nuggets, it was I got into them in 94, as many, many fans did, because mm-hmm. they upset the Sonics in that first round. And that was just so exhilarating where you you had this team of underdogs and i i remember that game five it was it was a five game series right it wasn't seven uh the sonics one yeah five okay no, six no yeah no wait yeah five it couldn't I, be I, six I keep, keep, no i keep forgetting that it was a five game first round yeah <laughs> right so uh in game five there there was a player it was brian williams yeah. who just had an out of his mind performance and i it, it's when i started to pay attention to some of the 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 less marquee names and it was it was when i really really got into basketball and then coincidentally the nuggets turned a pure ass okay i mean there was that one year and then god there was one year where the marketing was was rotated around like bryant stith bryant stith yep and you go bryant stith is a good player but bryant stith is not going to carry a franchise and so (laughs) You know, and you'd have some glimmers of hope in there. Like, you know, the Fonz was really fun to watch. And, you know, Robert Pack had a few good years um, and he was an athletic freak. Mm-hmm. But um, when I really got back into the Nuggets, it was during the George Carl era. When the starting five was like Ty Lawson, Andre Iguodala, uh, Manimal, Gallo and like JaVale McGee. Yeah. 2013. And I thought this this is a team of like dudes and like, these are all five really exciting dudes that you can watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably, you know, they blew that up too. And so it, it, it really, <laughs> I mean, these last few years, 
of watching the Nuggets coalesce and come together around Jokic and Murray and that like getting the supporting cast exactly dialed in. This is my favorite time to be a Nuggets fan because, you know, in the time period I mentioned, you had good Broncos teams, you had good Avalanche teams. And I mean, I like all sports and the Nuggets were not really a thing in this town, even though at times they were. But God, you know, I think about 07, I think it was 07 when uh, Chauncey Billups came back in that trade uh, for Iverson. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there were times where it was good, but it was never this good. Yeah. No, no. I mean, of course not, but <laughs> there's nothing you can compare to this. The, I, 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 and I've, as someone who's basically been a passionate Nuggets fan since 1987, 88, I can't compare this to anything. And it's, it's wild. <laughs> it's absolutely wild because I was always able to draw a historical corollary because that's how my brain works. I was able to always to draw draw some sort of historical corollary to anything, but this is unique. This is one hundred percent new unique to the Nuggets. And you know, we'll get to uh, in the second half. We're going to get to my memories in the '90s and stuff like that, and we're, as we discuss some uh, uh, aspects of that. But you know, as of this era, I haven't really seen anything as far as team building vis a vis a very unique superstar. And, and, you know, coming into this team that we've seen the last two years, I mean, you and I have been discussing, I've known you for since uh, 2022. So it, uh -huh. uh, last year, it's 2022 as if it was five years ago. Um, and it <laughs> <laughs> was an interesting way of phrasing it, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, we, you know, in this time, we've been witnessing in a, a great Nuggets team. And a great Nuggets team really put its stamp on the NBA. So, as as a, as someone who is a fan of this particular team, this particular era of this team, kind of draw uh, like look back at your NBA fandom mm. and think, what can you draw a correlation between this Nuggets team and the way they play with any team that you saw in the past? Um, that's a very very difficult question because. What is what I'm experiencing right now is altogether new to me as as a Nuggets fan, because, you know, if you if you read power rankings on, say, The Athletic or The Ringer or any of the nationally based publications, the Nuggets this year are clearly head and shoulders above everyone else, where except for maybe the Celtics, who, who are having a really good early season. I know your whole stance on you can't judge the trajectory of a season based on these. You got to get at least 10 games under your belt. But right. What I'm reading is everyone has sort of awoken to the fact that the Nuggets were very quietly just building an absolute team of assassins mm -hmm. where they, they were sort of under the radar last year. And I remember in the spring, there was sort of a lull before the playoffs. And there was some concern going into that Minnesota series that, you know, are the Nuggets going to do what they always do, which is just sort of fold or play down to their competition? Okay. Or are they going to be able to rise up? Uh, and and overcome and then they put together a 16 and 4 championship run yeah to the surprise of pretty much everyone mm -hmm. where you know the, the national media with the exception of maybe charles barkley was going what is happening here or you know the nuggets are finally going to get exposed by devin booker and the suns or they're gonna you know now they're running into lebron and ad 
uh, and they can never slay the dragon of the Lakers. And then it's like, okay, well, how are they going to handle Jimmy time down in, uh, in Miami? And they, they literally put every single one of those teams on their ass. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, oh crap, the nuggets are the class of the NBA because the way they built this starting five in particular with these five interlocking pieces that just seem like they're, they're almost like impenetrable in many ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, um, to that yeah, point, man. I mean, the, the, the only, so Jeff, to, to wrap up this very long point mm -hmm. I'm making, the only, the only team I can really liken it to is maybe the Spurs when they drafted Tim Duncan. Um, because, you know, around him, you had all these great pieces like Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and my least, one of my least favorite players of all time. And, uh, and Bruce <laughs> Bowen, um, but like, I, and I feel like Robert Ori was there and, yes. and you had, you had Deep just, her. yeah, yeah a, a team of killers who everyone knew their role, everyone bought into the system. And so anyone who wasn't part of that system or didn't want to buy in or, you know, was chirping about minutes or something was shipped off because it's like, this is our system. You either buy in or you get out of town. So that's the closest one I think I can make. You know, I was thinking about that, and it's interesting you bring up the Spurs because the Nuggets do fancy themselves the Spurs. This is this is one hundred percent their what they're projecting. Um, they have referenced oh, they have referenced the San Antonio Spurs like several times in press conferences. Calvin Booth and Josh Kroenke have. Um, oh. I've talked to people around the team, and yeah, you get the Spurs analogy. But the interesting thing about this is, um, Jokic. It's interesting in a sense that you always get the sense that Tim Duncan was going to play for a very long time. You you yeah. really, you were just, as soon as he came into the league, you just kind of knew that this guy was going to play until he couldn't play anymore. And which is basically what happened to him in 2017. And uh, you could just see it from the beginning when he was drafted, but they already had David Robinson. And that's the thing people forget about the Spurs is that, David Robinson was a top 50 oh, yeah. player in 1997 when they, when uh, Tim Duncan yeah. was drafted. So that made everything the Spurs did easier. Everything. Absolutely. Everything. They just, it was oh, yeah. just one of those, it was one of those things where it's, it's hard to compare to me. The Spurs are one of the most unique setups and I don't think you could ever replicate them. The nuggets, what they're trying to do is replicate them in culture. You know, the weirdest thing, and you're going to laugh at me, mm -hmm. the team that actually comes to mind in not in drama but in potential dominance is mm -hmm. the early 2000s lakers to me with the nuggets interesting because the nuggets run a lot of triangle in their offense mm -hmm. <laughs> you can see, and people people like completely they memory hole it but they forget what the triangle looks like but the nuggets run yeah. a lot <laughs> of stuff with Jokic at the pinch he is he would be phil jackson's dream that, oh God, uh, yes. Oh, um, he's just one of those things. Anyway, he the Nuggets do remind me of that in the way the pieces fit fit together around two guys mm -hmm. who are the main focal points, like the Bulls were, and like the the uh, the early two thousands Lakers were. So if the Nuggets kind of pull off a repeat, which you know is up in the air, you never know. Each season's new. If oh God, do, if they do that. They would more remind me of that because the Spurs were never very interested in repeating. And they it mm -hmm. was just it, it they were just kind of like, we'll just be successful for a long time. If the Nuggets managed to do what the Spurs couldn't do, I think they're more in line with that. Because people forget how good the 01, oh, the, the 2000, 2001 Lakers were. That's one of the best teams I've ever seen. 
That's yeah. when they only lost one game in the playoffs last year, <laughs> that, that year. Um, they were good. And this Nuggets, to me, this team, I'm giving them a compliment, this Nuggets team, to me, has a potential to be that dominant, all things considered, and if they stay healthy. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a really interesting point, too, because I try to not spend a ton of time thinking about the Lakers. <laughs> um, as as a, a resident of Denver, it's impossible yeah. not to. Right. <laughs> Just because, and and I, it's been fun watching Lakers fans on their heels for a change with the Denver fans trash talking and chanting, who's your daddy, you know, opening right. night. Right. <laughs> um, because you don't often see them in a position of weakness. And, you know, the, the Nuggets have them reeling, which is, is really fun. And they have lived rent free in our heads for depending on how old you are. <laughs> I mean, going back to the 80s. Um, and possibly even longer because the, the Lakers are clearly the class of the NBA along with the Celtics in terms of the number of titles that they've won and the number of dynasties that they have produced. Right. And so the idea of being on that trajectory, and I think the the Kobe-Shaq comparison to Jokic and Murray is also pretty fascinating. It's the way I see it. And not in the competition like those two are. I don't know if you've seen me tweet out that uh, there's a uh, secret base did a three part series on Kobe and Shaq mm. uh, and their complicated relationship. And it, <laughs> to it, say the least, say the least. And it was fascinating to go over back and look because Kobe is a month younger than me. Oh, wow. And I had forgotten how similar his individualism was to mine. And mm. it's that's a generational thing. There's a, just if you if you were born in a certain area of time, you were more affected by the individualism of of nihilistic Gen Xs, Gen X than uh, than said maybe like before or after. Yeah. And this one thing I've noticed, my friends have all got it, and it, it is very very interesting watching that, seeing the clash of those personalities. The York Nuggets, fortunately, yeah. don't have that clash. And and quite frankly, they say that your your tone is set by your best player. Look at Jokic, man. Jokic is yeah. is the ultimate tone setter in terms of you know, you have to buy in and everything is about team. Well, so Jeff, two points. One, Jokic, one of one of his most famous quotes is if you score, one person is happy. If you get an assist, two people are happy. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's just that's such a beautiful way of looking. Not only at the game of basketball, but life when you get mm -hmm. right down to it. Um, secondly, the individualism thing really lands with me because I, I'm just a little bit younger than you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in that weird little generation that they call either elder millennial or zennial or mm -hmm. Oregon Trail generation or whatever, right? They all have all these cutesy poo <laughs> nicknames. <laughs> and workshopped, workshopped. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's focus group this a little bit more. Um, oh, go set yourself on fire with all your marketing speak. So, but for me, this is why I've never fully identified as millennial because I have this pissy strain of individualism too. Right. Which is probably why I'm a company of one now, going on eight and a half years, and I have no desire to add teams, and I I don't necessarily play well with others, which is something I told when I was hosting Happy Friday um, with Kevin and Art. I, I mentioned to them right up front, I go, look, fellas, just so you know, I don't always play well with others and I can be a real pain in the ass. And, you know, we we had some clashes just because that is part of my personality. So to your point, I identify with that, but I also have an adversarial relationship with it, which is why I never liked Kobe that much. I, same here. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so it's, it's like paradoxical, right? But it's, it, you know, and, and not to say I, I'm on any level the same as Kobe Bryant. But as a fan, you watch him and it's like, man, fuck that guy. Like on a certain level, fuck that guy, because <laughs> the th- the things you the things that annoy you most in others are the things you see in yourself. Right. So <laughs> look, I told uh, what you just said there. I told a friend of mine yesterday. I was like, it's, <laughs> of course you did. It, it is so it is so weird to look at because I could just watch that video and I'm like, oh, my God, I did not like watching Kobe Bryant play. He no. took he took the worst parts of Michael Jordan and put that <laughs> as part of his personality and part of his makeup. And it just bugged the crap out of me. Didn't like watching him play. I mean, he has been lionized now. With like, I mean, he was a good player, but I mean, obviously, in death comes people stop forgetting, start forgetting about the the worst aspects of your, which is I hope yeah. what people do with me. Um, so. <laughs> well so jeff have you ever been have you ever been like gone to a buffet with someone yeah and you both you're both at the same buffet right and you're looking at it and you get back to the table and you have two vastly different plates yeah and that's like the way you describe kobe bryant taking the worst parts of jordan's personality that's like you went to a buffet and like kobe ended up with a vastly different plate than you go and you go this is what you liked about jordan like what the <laughs> fuck man that's terrible i'm gonna take the chucking i'm gonna take the... <laughs> I'm yeah, going go. to take the sociopathic level of competition, but I'm I'm not going to have any of the, the kind of fun, lighthearted, you know, be like Mike Gatorade commercial part of my personality. Right. Um, you know, because like, like Jordan, despite being a complete psycho, was also had this real like affability about him. Like you mm-hmm. can't picture Kobe hosting Saturday Night Live the way Jordan did and yep. you know Michael Jordan putting his name on uh Michael Jordan pornographic content right like <laughs> in uh <laughs> in in his monologue like that's just not who Kobe is Kobe could never be self-effacing the way Jordan was no and, and it's the interesting thing so like uh, it, 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 this kind of leads us into our conversation about the 90s because Kobe started in the 90s 96 sure. I was he so him being a month younger than me so we you know he's getting into the nba as i'm getting into adulthood and mm-hmm. i i one of the things that uh made me realize that i'm t- i sometimes take the worst parts of the 90s as i because i i lionize that so much i take the uh-huh. worst parts of it and i forget the bad parts so yeah i i i my my people don't like I, I I was separated into two different eras, the early 90s up to 94, 95, and then after the expansion in 95, when the league got so diluted that the, the, the product became crap, basically. So to me, the early 90s is the best part, the early to mid 90s. Mm-hmm. The last part of the 90s, I just there's some unwatchable ass by basketball in that period <laughs> that like especially that um, the 99 lockout year. Oh, awful awful basketball that's some terrible basketball man <laughs> so so like you what's your relationship with my era? what's your what's your relationship with 90s basketball so this is this is going to be an insane origin story um and i'm going to like a couple of people who are not widely liked here i don't think <laughs> um but my dad was on a business trip to salt lake city and actually through whatever he was doing met Carl Malone. Yeah. 
And so got this big eight by 10 autographed photo of Carl Malone and it's him in front of his like big semi truck tractor trailer. Um, And, you know, it says the mailman on it. And so it it can take something that stupid to trigger a kid's fandom. So I must have been 11, 12, 13 years old when that happened. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I got really hot for the Utah Jazz. And so I was a big Utah Jazz fan back then. And so. I mean, and even to this day, if you go on YouTube and you watch Stockton and Malone run that pick and roll, mm-hmm. um, you know, I watched the two-man game with Murray and Jokic, which is different than the way Stockton and Malone did it, but it gives me that nice, like, kind of familiar soap and water feeling, right? Yeah. Where just watching two guys who understand each other's rhythms and get along so well professionally. And I mean, Stockton is just an unfathomably dirty player, too, oh, yeah. which kind of... <laughs> puts my hatred of Bruce Bowen into sharp relief where it's like, Oh, you love Stockton, but you hate Bruce Bowen. Like that seems kind of <laughs> like you missed something here, bro. <laughs> but, uh, so, um, that, that, that was my team for a long time where, and, and of course the bulls, you know, the bulls were cultural ubiquity at that point. And I had a family, you know, who was from Chicago. So watching them win six titles was was terrific. But, you know, I could kind of I, I think one of the other things that's underrated here, Jeff, mm-hmm. is the game NBA Jam. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> when that came out, you know, 94 you could, NBA Jam, mm-hmm. you could name two players on every team as a result of that. And mm-hmm. I don't I'm like. I'm a big NBA fan now, but I'm not 100% confident I could do that for every single team. But back then, I just had much greater mental bandwidth for this kind of thing. So, you know, you're you're playing against the Nets and you go, oh, that's Derek Coleman. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, God, who was I can't remember. It was a guard. Anderson. But uh, uh, yeah, it was yeah Kenny Anderson. Kenny Anderson. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I, I otherwise wouldn't have an opinion on Clarence Witherspoon of the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> but because you play a lot of NBA Jam, you you get familiarity with everyone, which helped you put on any game that was on ESPN or NBC right. or wherever. And you could sort of like get into the flow and develop opinions about a wide variety of players. And so that to me made the NBA really, really fun where you could just kind of pick up any game. And, you know, you and I were, were texting the other night about uh, run TMC on the mm-hmm. Warriors. Yep. Um. I, I met Charles Barkley at the Tabor Center one time. Um, he had wow. Rick Riley following him around <laughs> and like writing a story about him. And so we're in this music store and people keep coming up to Charles for autographs. And he goes, hey, y'all, this is Rick Riley. Why ain't no one want his autograph? He writes for Sports <laughs> Illustrated. And he's just holding court in the middle of this. And he's just as funny and charming as you hope he would be. And so... As as Jordan sort of lifted the NBA, it it brought everyone else with him. Where you know you you'd watch a guy like Patrick Ewing, and Patrick Ewing was phenomenal. He was a great great player, but I always viewed him as an enemy as a Bulls fan. So mm-hmm. that's it's all a long way of saying that it was fun watching the NBA ascend in popularity and and to be there with it as I'm like a, a tween into a teenager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know I. My memory for things really begins like 87, 88 with the 54 win Nuggets team. And 
Oh, he's deaf and he wandered in here. So that's that's my cat. If you've oh, he's got his cat that, with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, my memory starts then. But, you know, for my memory from 90s basketball is really like probably too sharp. And <laughs> I, I I was I was thinking about uh, before this, we I knew our podcast. I was thinking like, are there teams I hated in the 90s? Oh, yeah. You know, oh. you're talking about one that you were a fan of, but could not stand the jazz. John, John Stockton <laughs> was the dirtiest player I'd ever seen in my life. He oh, and, God, yeah. and, and Jeff Hornacek would get under you and do the same thing yeah. Bruce Bowen did. And oh, he, they were gadflies, dude. He turned so many, sent so many, set so many illegal screens for like writing someone's kidney. And it was, <laughs> was just, like I, I hated them. Did not like Carl Malone. Uh, did not hate it. And I was like a good uh, NBA citizen. I hated the Pistons. And good, yes, because you had to. But I do. That's with correct. The, with the benefit of hindsight, I do know that they probably should have won three titles in a row. Um, huh. because they should have beat the Lakers in '88, and that was they they lost because Isaiah Thomas was injured in Game Seven. That's basically it. And you're like, man, this is this is was a great team. Could not stand him. Don't don't like Isaiah Thomas to this day. Oh, me either. And neither did Carl Malone because he destroyed Isaiah Thomas's face with an elbow. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> that make you a huge Carl Malone fan at this at this point? Then you would think, but no. Um, <laughs> doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, but you and the reason I bring this up is because one of my teams from the from the nineties that I like is one that you really hate. It's the, the Knicks. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes, like gross. Just that whole team of between John Starks and Anthony Mason and like, God, yeah. Charles Oakley, just just a, a team of jerks, dude. Like, <laughs> Did I give you my explanation as to why I'm a fan of them? You may have. I have forgotten. I, I the only reason was um, the Nuggets were dog shit, so I needed another team and this is right in that area, though, where, I mean, this is like where Paul Westhead is the coach, and the Nuggets were just despicably bad during oh, that yeah. time. And he, he his philosophy of just scoring and no defense was was worse than the 80s Nuggets. I could and, not believe that Paul Westfall got hired and then was successful with the Suns after that, after no, his no, tenure here. That's, no, that this is Paul Westhead. Paul Westfall was... Paul uh, Westhead. Yeah, Paul Westfall was the coach of the uh, Suns. Paul Westhead was the coach of the 1980 Lakers that won the title. Right. Played and by he, Jason, Jason Siegel. Yes. And, and um, he got the coup for the with Magic right. Johnson. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. In winning time. That's right. And then he went on to coach Loyola Marymount with Hank Gathers. Okay. And, and then Hank Gathers died on a court and all this. Stuff. In fact, right before Paul Westhead went to the Nuggets. So anyway, the Nuggets were terrible at that time, and I need another team. Well, at that time, 91-92, Westhead's second year, the Nuggets were out, and they were terrible. They were about to hire Dan Issel. Well, in the playoffs, Pat Riley, this was Pat Riley's first year with the Knicks, and the Knicks somehow, after being basically terrible for two years, suddenly won 50, I think, 50, 52 games that year, and then took the Bulls to seven games in the second round. And I yeah, was like, I remember that. I was like, that's my team. And that was, that was it. That was it for me. So, so because I couldn't stand the Bulls, I just, the Bulls, 
I was one of those people where it's just like because they were so popular, I didn't like them. Very Gen X thing. I just yeah. I did, they were too popular for me. You don't say. <laughs> so, so I it's I it's became... like it's like the Bulls were an indie band that got signed. Right, and... <laughs> you're too popular now. I don't know what happened to you guys. You used to be cool, then you yeah. got popular, and now look what happened to you. And now I don't like you. I, I used to see you when you were at Madame Zuzu's in Chicago, but now. But now you're just like too cool for me. And I, yeah, I, you don't I, play the no, fireside bowl anymore. Yes, it's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, that's how I became a Knicks fan. It was purely out of contradiction and, and the Nuggets ter- being terrible. And that was it. Well, congratulations. You have the most Gen X reason for fandom I've ever heard. <laughs> so it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Uh, the East was really interesting uh, back in the 90s because, you know, the, the Knicks were really good. And by the way, your love for that nightmare series of the Knicks versus the Rockets. Oh, I love just, it. I, I know you do. It's just mystifying to me. Favorite series um, of all time. Other than the uh, Nuggets stuff. <laughs> yes. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that. yes, that's obvious. But um, you had, like, occasionally really interesting Pacers teams then. Yeah. With, like, Re- Reggie Miller and Rick Smith and Detlef Schrempf. The Davises, uh, yeah, the day the both Davises. That's right, uh, Dale and Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you had the Magic and poor Nick Anderson missing four free throws. Oh man. Um, and uh, you know what? I even had a Larry Johnson poster on my wall when I was a kid. Oh, grandmama! Um, and I don't know if it was as a result of those grandmama commercials, probably. <laughs> um. But like the the Hornets were really fun if you were a kid because they had like interesting guys. It was you know him and Alonzo Mourning and Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy Bogues. Yep. Yeah. Rex Chapman. Um, Rex Chapman was on that team. Uh, so yeah, I I haven't been interested in the East pretty much since uh, I would say since especially the ascent of the West in the two thousands, mm-hmm. where the West has just been murder for everyone. Uh, for for as long as I can really remember now, between the Lakers and the Warriors and uh, the Spurs, like the the West is always just filled with with teams of killers, especially relative to the East. Mm-hmm. And so when I think back on the '90s, I actually think about the East probably a little bit more than I do the West in many ways. There were some great rivalries in the East, though. The yeah, Knicks and Pacers was great. Oh, was- totally. <laughs> <laughs> like did you great. see winning time yeah. um the, the third i love that that 30 for 30 yeah oh that's the with the one with red the reggie reggie and uh, uh spike lee uh, spike lee uh, yeah and the interesting thing about that is that that seven game series in 94 between the pacers and the knicks it was one of some of the most i i bloody basketball i mean those talk about two tough teams yeah, and they it, they were going toe to fucking toe in that yeah. series. And best you best game I ever saw Patrick Ewing play was Game Seven. He had like something like twenty five points, twenty two rebounds, like eight assists or something like that. Jesus. It was insane, like a Jokic day. I yeah, know, and it was like insane. And he almost fouled out because he was playing <laughs> Rick Smith, who always gave him trouble. So <laughs> it was like, oh my god. But anyway. Um, it was those, and then you got the Cleveland Cavaliers who had Brad Doherty and uh, Mark Price, Price and uh, Larry Nance, and um, the just guys like that on their team. And then mm-hmm. it's just there were so many great teams in the East that, you, that those years who couldn't get past Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. 
that really was the case. They just could not get past the Jordan's Bulls. And, you know, the interesting thing, the, to me, the best Bulls team was the 91-92 Bulls, um, the one that beat Portland in the uh, the finals. Oh, yeah. That, you know, they won 72 games in 96, but the one that I saw with the best competition was the 91-92 Bulls. They were a fucking machine. And <laughs> it, it was unbelievable to watch that Bulls team. I didn't like them. But now, with the benefit of hindsight, yeah, one of the best teams probably I've ever seen in my life. Was that the, was it against the Lakers or the Blazers that was like the John Paxson series? Um, that was uh, against the. Or was Suns. that against the Suns? That was against okay. the Suns. Uh, but that was another great team. I love the Suns. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because you you had Kevin Johnson. And uh, and Barkley, of course. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, no, no one could get past Michael and the Bulls. Nope. That Blazers team I had. Uh, it was an NES game. It was Tecmo NBA basketball. And for whatever reason, I chose the Blazers as my team. Ooh. And so I developed an affection for them, too, with Jerome Kersey and, you know, Buck Williams and Kevin Duckworth. And of course, Clyde and Terry mm -hmm. Porter in the in the backcourt. Poor but Clyde. That I know, like. Well, didn't Clyde get his ring with uh, the Rockets? He got it with the Rockets, but okay. man, Jordan wanted to make an example of him. Uh, and... Well, yeah, because you know, anytime anyone's like, "Hey, this guy's kind of like Michael," Michael's like, "No, he's not. No, he's not. Here, let me demonstrate. <laughs> <laughs> let me eat this guy's lunch for him, and then uh, go sleep with his wife right in front of him while he thanks me for it." So, like, that, Can I have another. Jordan's Thank you, sir. Yeah. Whole energy. <laughs> But yeah, that Blazers team was awesome because that from top, like that starting five is pretty killer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were great for like a three year period from yeah. 90 to 92. And they, that 92 series, they had one of the best games I ever saw Danny Ainge play was game two against the Bulls in, in that mm -hmm. series. He, he stepped in for Clyde Drexler and just basically willed the, the Blazers to win. And that was where one of those points where you're like, oh man, maybe the Blazers have a, have a chance here you know maybe they they really got a chance here and then of course they were dead the life snuffed out of them by the bulls but uh, yeah. uh they couldn't win against the bulls at home for some reason and that that, that was so the, the blazers issues was they kept losing all these games at home but that was back when the nba did the two three two format for the oh yeah, yeah and yeah. uh so so teams would had wouldn't have to like do go back and forth from the east coast to the west coast and all that that was the entire reason they did that and um, that format kind of gave you three home games in a row and all these teams wouldn't be able to win their, you know, all their middle home games, you know? Yeah, it, well, that's a weird thing. And I remember, uh, I think it was maybe Bill Simmons even just chirping about how that was largely sports writers not wanting to take as many flights yeah. uh, across the country. And I thought if sports writers had that kind of stroke, bro, like, <laughs> give me a break here. <laughs> Um, sports writers had more more influence back then too uh, like and they they did more people paid attention to them i guess is the best way to true. put it <laughs> yeah well yeah there was there was a little bit more monoculture back then where you didn't yep. quite have as many outlets and so everyone had to kind of agree yep. on 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 what we were reading and you know those those spots were a lot more coveted there just simply weren't as many outlets to your point but yeah that I didn't realize that Portland had trouble winning at home, which feels odd because Portland's a great basketball town. 
I, Portland is a great basketball town. Uh, they obviously they won a they won a championship with Walton in the seventies, and um, they it's one of those. It's typical of the of the one horse town things because you know they all they've got yeah. is is one of the major sports is NBA. So they put all their eggs in that basket. It was kind of like the then Denver was in the eighties, where it was just the Nuggets and the Broncos, and yeah. it was like. Yes, the Broncos and the Nuggets were playing at the at the same time, but they would like as soon as the Broncos ended, everyone paid attention to the Nuggets. Um, so but at, at the same time, they're really dedicated and they're really smart basketball fans, I thought. At least well, yeah. you know, at least back then. And so I I I've always had an affection for Portland. Um, I have too. I and, you know, I I was except for when they were playing the Nuggets, I always liked watching mm-hmm. the the Dame Lillard and the CJ McCollum. Yeah. Uh, Blazers that like that's just a fun team to root for and yeah. and when they would come up like on national TV I was always excited to to get to watch Lillard and I'm happy that he's found a, a good landing spot here in Milwaukee just because I I like Lillard I, I think he's a good player and the Blazers have always had guys I I mean I even remember the jail Blazers back with, yeah. which I mean a writer yeah. In in many in in many ways, it's kind of a, a terrible and unfair nickname. In many ways, thoroughly earned. Right. But um, <laughs> you know, Portland's always been an interesting team to look at, kind of through the eras. Mm-hmm. Well, you remember uh, the 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 team that took the Lakers to seven games in two thousand. Yeah. Uh, in the in the Western Conference Finals, it was Damon Stoudemire. Uh, oh, Stoudemire! God, I love Damon. He played for the Raptors too, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. And then it was, uh, Terry, well, no, Terry Porter wasn't on there. It was, um, Rasheed Wallace, uh, Scotty Pippen, uh, oh, yeah. Arvita oh, Sabonis and Dennis Scott. Dude, that's, that's a hell of a starting five. It was a great starting five. And Mike Dunleavy was their coach as I remember. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I saw one of my favorite episodes of cribs, oddly enough, was, uh, Damon Stoudemire's house in Portland. Just because he was like a he was a cool dude and like it was kind of understated and he was like a great player. I wasn't he called Mighty Mouse? Yep. <laughs> um and so he had like he had a bunch of Mighty Mouse memorabilia and shit in his house. And so I'm like, okay, that's that's like that's a fun guy. I kind of miss Cribs. So, yeah, Cribs was a great show. I I mean, no one will ever touch Red Man's house. Do you remember that yeah. one? Yeah. He still lives there, apparently. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was. What was another one of those things that was uh, unique to the early two thousands uh, MTV? Was it like Pimp My Ride or something like that? Where, Pimp with, My uh, Ride, yeah. With exhibit. <laughs> so okay, let, let's let's talk about the early two thousands for just one second because okay. this is going to be like the most two thousands thing I could ever say. I was reading an article about Pimp My Ride in like FHM magazine. And which uh, perfect, right? You know, Maxim, FHM stuff, blender, all that shit. Details. Uh, But they said some of the best stories from Cribs were when Exhibit was when he would actually take the car and he would drive it to like to the shop for real. Like that wasn't staged. And at one point he was going through a Burger King drive through in this beater of a car. And outside of this Burger King, he saw Flavor Flav arguing with a homeless person. (laughs) And. And they filmed it, but Flav wouldn't sign the release so they could never air it. And I thought, Jesus Christ, like that's got to exist somewhere in an MTV vault. And I desperately want to see that footage. 
God. I just got this picture. Of... This isn't where this isn't in this where the time where Flavor Flav was on uh, what's that uh, show? The Surreal uh, Life. Surreal Life. Yeah, with um with what's her name the 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 washout from the 80s um yeah brigitte nielsen brigitte, brigitte nielsen yes yeah, and... who who used to call him foofy foofy and like their whole <laughs> romance and courtship was just so gross oh my god that whole thing oh my god we're we're going to a dark place now uh but this is that <laughs> that was that was insane and you know that led into early 2000s kind of weird culture which i you know i i don't think can't think of anything that could replicate post 9-11 America from 2001 to 2004, right around there. Yeah, it was really weird. There was a lot of shows like that. There was a this is culturally it was a it's hard to describe how bizarre the United States was at that time. Just in listen, the stuff that we were producing. <laughs> And this is the era of torture porn in in horror movies yeah. and all that stuff. And it's just it's just so. And I look back at it now, and I'm like, God, that was weird as fuck. <laughs> it it was weird, dude. Like it's it's sort of the start of the reality shows because, like, shortly after the surreal life, you had Flavor of Love, mm-hmm. and then you had Rock of Love with Brett Michaels, and so it's like you had Next on MTV. So it was like this really like cynical kind of like way of viewing dating. It's like a funhouse mirror of The Bachelor which also started around that same time. And my mom would tell me about it even when I didn't ask. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, and did you watch Dancing with the Stars? And I go, for the last time, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't and will never watch this show. I don't give a shit about this show, mom. <laughs> but <laughs> like, that that's when, yeah, that's when reality shows were really starting to take a turn for the super evil. Oh, yeah. And I think we've almost course corrected a little bit now because some of the most popular reality shows are things like The Great British Bake Off. Yeah, which is like super wholesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, even even something like Chopped, which is a competition show, but it's not it's not like debasing yourself for money the way a lot right. of these shows were. It was like a race to the bottom to see who could be the worst person on each show. And I don't know. I mean, we could spend a month of Sundays unpacking what led us to that moment. Oh yeah. Well, you but, remember the real life on MTV, the real world, the real world, real life. Yeah. Well, clearly, I don't remember the real world, <laughs> but well, that was nineties. Uh, that was nineties, and I remember the first season. I watched the first season. I was like what, fifteen when it was when it was yeah, the sure. first season, and I remember that. And I was thinking like, oh, this is an interesting novelty. Not thinking that anything like that could ever be extrapolated into billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of 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 product yeah. and and all this stuff I, I had no idea that anything like that could ever be replicated like that it was an interesting experiment as far as i was concerned and yeah. then it just like it turned into what it became in the early 2000s and then you know with the best reality program i ever saw was the and one mixtape <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ i had no idea again dude it's thrilling talking to you <laughs> because i never know what's coming and so jesus the and one mixtape that is also specific to its era i were you an avid consumer of slam ball on uh, spike yeah. tv yeah yes i was too i like I was I was amazed when they brought that back just recently <laughs> they, God, they brought that back i didn't yeah i missed that jesus 
<laughs> it's times like this I'm grateful I have kids that I miss some of the culture that's out there. <laughs> Where it's like, no, I, I'm going to let that one just pass me by. That's all right. That's <laughs> just, dude. There was just one. There was one time you said like we got to talk about '90s detritus. Well, this is going into early 2000s detritus. Yeah. And uh, this is like and one mixtape was so fun. Did you see the the what was the documentary they'd sit on on uh, on Netflix? They did this series of documentaries that came out a couple of years ago, and it was on an and one mixtape. No, I haven't seen that. It's great if you want to see like okay. a flashback of the time and stuff like that because it was real push behind it. These guys were tr really trying to make millions and millions and billions of dollars and they didn't end up doing it. Um, but all these guys, but there was a guy, I think it was Rafer Alston that that came out oh, of yeah. out of uh and one, and I think he's the only one that ever made yeah. it out of it. Well, the the thing about and one was like I got what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's it's almost like when you're watching someone do too much guitar noodling on stage. Yeah. Like at I'm a certain shredding. point, it becomes yeah. less functional and just more masturbatory. Mm -hmm. Where like in many ways, I'd, I'd watch an and one mixtape or just anything sort of associated with that. And I'm like, this is unwatchable dog shit. Like I can't I can't fucking stand watching these guys do this many moves like between their legs. And now there's like <laughs> YouTubers and TikTokers who you know will go to playgrounds and just show off and it's like okay this, this is a some of this shit is clearly staged yeah. which there's like and i i have an affection for a phony sheen on things as a lifelong professional wrestling fan but it's too much even for me sometimes and like the end one i'm like guy can you just fucking play like just play a regular ass basketball game that's what i'm interested in without all the all the distracting accoutrement that you have here <laughs> It was, I mean, they're the the only ones who had an uh, announcer on the court. <laughs> totally, he, he's like the flavor flave, yeah, really, of, like, just the hype man, <laughs> just there hyping everyone up. And you go, this feels maybe uh, like overkill. Oh my, that, it was amazing. I, it's just, you know, like now that we've gone down this this memory lane, I, this time flew. I, I knew this was going to happen because time flew. This, this is moment. what happens with us, man. We get on the phone. <laughs> When I know when I'm talking to Jeff Landline Morton, I better block off an hour and a half. Because <laughs> Jeff will come back with something completely nonsensical <laughs> that I get to think about, which is the ex Jeff experience. Um, well, dude, it, it's like, have you ever seen, and I, I keep I keep chiming in with all these weird metaphors, but it's like when, when they show someone's brain when they're like on an, under an MRI machine mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they give them different stimuli and you watch different parts of the brain light up. When you and I talk, you and I will trigger something where different parts light up, and then we're off on this other rabbit hole. So this conversation <laughs> has been a nice, nice uh, encapsulation of what it's like when we're when we're texting during Nuggets games and stuff. Well, when you were and, talking about the, the 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 between the legs and all that stuff with and one, my immediately immediate thought was maybe minute thirty five of Led Zeppelin's Dazed and Confused live performances. <laughs> Where Jimmy Page by this point is just not even making sense with a guitar. It's just noise. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> that's immediately. There, there's, what a, I thought. <laughs> there's a joke in Futurama when uh Bender is touring with uh with Beck. Mm -hmm. And Beck goes, Devil's haircut doesn't normally last 45 minutes, but we got into a serious thing there and I couldn't remember how it ended. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so that 
but it's totally like what's happening with some of these like with the guitar solos and with like guys just doing all sorts of nifty tricks with their dribbling and stuff on the basketball court you go you you've lost the thread of what you're actually doing here aren't you and you can't you, you're never going to land the plane here um you're a big punk fan so that this because let's let's go let's get on out on on this can you recommend some good punk bands from people to listen to something that <laughs> like you're vibing with right now that you uh, think people would uh enjoy there's a denver-based band out there called the Frickishinas. They actually wrote the the theme song to Happy Friday, but their their whole album, Thanks for the Invite, is something that I cannot stop listening to. Um, it is phenomenal. I love it. Their song, my my favorite track off of there is probably track one. And uh and it's called I Like Your Band Better. So that's pretty under the radar stuff. Uh there's a band on side one dummy records called Plasma Canvas that is writing some of the most trenchant vital heartfelt music out there and it's heavy dude like it's very sludgy it's very like it's heavy riffage but uh the lead singer is a trans woman named uh ren ash she's she's absolutely phenomenal and then i'll give you one more this is one that just and and like obviously green day has new music out uh mm -hmm. blink 182 just reunited has a new album that i really really like i think it's great um i love bands that are on fat records that's kind of my sound but i'll give you one more and it's this totally unhinged band out of Australia called Clowns. Yeah. And Clowns has a song out there called Formaldehyde that just hit me right where I wanted it to hit me because punk at its base, I don't think should should be all like dad rock, not people like me just, you know, yeah. kind of living through the nostalgia because right. I, I came up in the punk revival in the 90s. And that's that's my favorite type of music. So face to face, lag wagon, strung out, rise against, no effects, that kind of stuff. But Clowns makes music that makes me feel kind of genuinely uncomfortable in certain ways. And I like punk to have an edge. I like my cinema to have an edge to make me feel something that I'm maybe not 100% comfortable reckoning with yet. Yeah. And that's what a band like Plasma Canvas or like Clowns is doing. So that, those are those are my three recommendations. Oh, that's, that's great. I, 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 I will certainly check them out. I um, I'm always about get, like expanding my horizons because I, I, I limit myself. But there's there I what the the 90s punk thing missed me because I just I was a big, big fan of the Clash and and, uh, you know, the Ramones. Yeah. And I that was kind of my jam. And I kind of like stopped after that. But there was a band that was an offshoot, I think, no, of no effects called me for me first in the Gimme Gimme's, which all was all covers of classic rock songs done punk. And I yeah. thought it was the the best. Like, their 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 cover of The Boxer was one is one of my like favorite covers of all time by this but the boxer by simon and garfunkel so check that out if you want to if you want to get yeah, something that will just make you smile they, um, they do a cover of leaving on a jet plane that i absolutely adore yeah <laughs> um yeah and, and my favorite actually maybe my favorite one is they do a cover of cabaret of all things um yeah okay, i haven't heard that one i can check that one out <laughs> yeah check that one out and then i now that we're thinking about this i want to uh, I want to throw in two more. The, so one of them is the Linda Lindas. Mm -hmm. They are uh, an all-girl group, and they're all um, Asian or Latin American teenage girls, and they're writing incredible punk rock. And then another one, uh, this is a Fat Records band. They're called Bad Cop, Bad Cop. And uh, that that's an all-female band, too. So um, 
I, I realized as a white, straight, cisgendered man, like I, my sort of voice and my worldview and sensibility has been overrepresented in pop culture. Yeah. And in certain ways, I'm exhausted by it. Yeah. So I really like it. So let's get some other experiences here because that's going to be truly punk too, where, you know, we're hearing from women, we're hearing from the trans community, we're hearing from the LGBT community. That those are people who, especially compared to myself, have dealt with a lot more uh, struggle, adversity, you know, cultural margin marginalization. And so hearing those voices get elevated is always really, really exciting. Same here. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned them. And also King's X, if you you want a metal band that was fronted by a, a African-American man, uh, that is, uh, they're very good, by the way. My friend Andrew is probably the biggest King's X fan I've ever, ever met in my nice. life. So um, so anyway, well, John, I really appreciate this. If I didn't like keep us to a time, I probably would, this would be like three hours and then you'd be <laughs> hating me for not being able to get work done. So <laughs> I appreciate I, well, you coming on. <laughs> let's say I would have mixed feelings about it because those three hours would be exceptionally fulfilling. <laughs> But at what cost? At so what cost? I, That's what you say. It's it, it's uh it's it's my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you for having me on the show. I I adore talking basketball with you. As we record this, the Nuggets are on tonight. Really interesting matchup yep. with the Warriors, and I'll be interested to see how that one plays out. Yep. Nuggets play tonight against the Warriors. Uh, they're sitting uh, Gary Payton too and Draymond Green. So the, wow. the, so. It's going to be interesting. The Nuggets are missing Jamal Murray still, so we're going to see. We'll see what this uh, this one's going to be at. So anyway, th my thanks to John Ekstrom. Go uh, check him out. Uh, John of All Trades is his podcast, and he produces a bunch more. Uh, fun Shout out where they could find you on, uh, on Twitter. So uh, on socials, it's across platforms, baby. It's J-O-A-T pod. That is Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, Blue Sky, and Threads. Uh, some of those I'm using more than others, but uh, I, it's J-O-A-T pod across platforms. All right. Uh, thanks to John Ekstrom, and uh, I'll be seeing you guys in a couple days after the Nuggets play the, uh, the, well, tonight, so it'll be tomorrow after the Nuggets play the Golden State Warriors. Goodbye.